Welcome to the Witches and Wine audio experience. answers exactly the question you ask. Nothing more, nothing less. And it gives you the judgment up front. That's the first thing it gives you, is the actual answer. And then it gives you the details you want to the level you want based on how much you want to read into the chart. Let's say somebody was just like, they just, they, they thought of a question, and now, after watching this video, they want to start creating a chart. Like, what would they do next? I'll start with four things the four mothers of the chart. Those you come up with by a random process. And what's interesting about Geomancy is that there's no one way to do that process. With tarot, you have to have a tarot deck. With astrology, you have to have the planets, or an ephemeris, or a computer to do the work for you. With runes, you have to have a set of runes. But with Geomancy, you can use pretty much anything as your tool. Traditionally, you would have the stick and surface method. You have a stick, and you have a markable surface. And you just make 16 rows of dots without counting, so that each row has a random number of dots. I first started out by taking a piece of paper and like mm -hmm. a pencil, and mm -hmm. then I like made like 16 lines, like numbered one through 16. And mm -hmm. then I would like try to like relax a little bit, and then I'd open my eyes, and then I'd take my pencil, and then on line one, I would just like make like chicken scratches, until I felt like I was done. And then I'd go to line two. Just do, 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 do. Yep. Okay, I feel finished. Maybe line three only has one little scratch because that's what I felt like. I just go by what I feel like and I do it for 16 lines. That's how I started out. If the first one is even, then I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna put like the number two next to it because whatever. And then second line and third line, they were both odd numbers. So it could have been an odd number like 31, or it could have been an odd number like 1. If it's an odd number, then it just automatically gets the number 1. Mm -hmm. I can do like a 102 scratches. That's even. doesn't matter how big or small. If it's even, it's like 2 dots. If it's odd, it's 1 dot. And then from those 16, you take the first 4 lines, right? And then you create... Like you literally, like you took the two dots when it was like an, e an even number and then the next line was like an odd and then an odd, then an even. So it's like next to it, it's like two, one, one, two. That's your first figure. You take the next four, next four, next four, next four. And then you get four figures and then you just create the chart from there.
the generation of those four mother figures is like the only time the magic happens. Yeah, that's the only time yeah, you need to go to the trance state. Beyond that, it's just math. It's like, are you doing the math right? And what's nice about G-Mains is that there are ways to tell whether you did the math right or not. Like the judge, for instance, the distillation of the whole chart has to be a figure with an even number of points. You can't get an odd-numbered figure in that position because of the mathematics of the chart. So if you got one there, if you got an odd-numbered figure there, something got messed up along the way. And there are actually several different checks you can do to make sure the chart is mathematically valid. And then from there, once you have a mathematically valid chart, it's just interpreting the rules and letting intuition build gaps and guide you just to where to look next. Uh, let's say you're hiking and you're just like, should I climb that peak? You can literally take a stick and like just make marks on the ground, right? Like just in the dirt. That's how it was done. That was the first way of doing geomancy. To this day in Africa and such in the Sahara and West North Africa, you'll still see diviners doing that very same thing. You know, cleaning out a plot of sand, taking a wand or a stick or a staff, and just going back and forth, making lines in the sand. That's exactly how it was originally done. And then it was brought to Europe, and they started doing, you know, styluses on wax tablets or ink on paper. You know, that is the traditional way of doing geomancy. And I recommend, for anyone who's learning geomancy, use that method first. Because it'll kind of get you plugged into the currents of geomancy. It'll get you used to what it feels like. You'll be replaying what the original geomancers a thousand years ago were doing. And it'll help you develop that kind of trance state, that kind of light, intuitive feel of what does it feel like to do divination. Then, for convenience, you can go into other tools. Like, what other tools like can we use? Anything. Um, you can pluck up 16 potatoes from a field and count the number of eyes in each potato. Nice. You can flip a coin 16 times, heads or tails, odd or even. You can draw... 16 cards from a deck, a play, you know, poker deck, red or black, odd or even. You can roll a die 16 times. You can roll four different colored dice four times. You know, you can use anything so long as it gets you a binary answer. Heads or tails, up or down, odd or even, red or black. Anything that gets you that will get you a geometric figure. The way I typically do a geometric reading nowadays, especially for a client... Uh, is I'll use a deck of cards that I made specific for geomancy. The 64-card deck, where each figure is on four cards. So as long as you're in the right state of mind, like, you have to be pretty chill. You can't just be like, yes. you can't be hyperventilating when you're doing this. You have to be chill. But that's for any sort of, like, even for tarot. If you're hyperventilating before you're drawing cards, that's a bad thing. So you gotta yeah, be chill. Exactly. Chill, and then this is... To me, like, that's the most crucial part of geomancy, right? It's creating those first four figures, the mothers, which is creating those 16, like, lines or 16 die throws or 16 counting of the potatoes. Now I also use, like, um, I use an app, random.org, that app, and I use mm -hmm. the die, the dice um, in that app, and then I just press a button, and then from those first four figures, you got the next four figures. Daughters, yes. How how did you do that? Here I have four figures. Mm -hmm. And you see how each figure has four rows. Fire, air, water, and earth in that order. For the first daughter, you take the first row, odd, even, odd, odd. 
odd, even, odd, odd. So that's the first dollar. The second dollar, you do the same thing with the next row of the four figures. So even, odd, even, odd. Even, odd, even, odd. And then so forth. So you have the four mothers here, and you have the four daughters here. And of course, the next question is, what are the next four figures? Yeah, exactly. So the next four figures are called the nieces. What you do is you take combinations, pairs, of the mothers and daughters. Right? If they're so the same, you would make it into two dots. And if they're different, you make them into one dot. Bingo. So here you have four nieces. And then... You get the court. So again, you just do the whole process over again. You add pairs of the nieces together to get the right witness, which here is Carker, prison, and then the left witness, Loss, Amicio. And then you add the, the two witnesses to get the judge, Fortuna Major, the greater fortune. And that's called the shield chart, correct? Yes, it's called the shield chart because if you were to draw a fancy outline around this whole thing, a sort of distillation funnel forms a shield-like shape in the old medieval sense. We have the four mothers here, the four daughters, the four nieces, the witnesses, and the judge. The judge is the answer. Answer. The judge is the answer. Like That is the whole answer in a single figure right there. So it'll tell you whether or not the thing will happen, whether or not it'll be good. It'll show you whether it's on your side or whether it's on the other side. You know, it's a court. It's a thing of a courtroom. You have the defendant, you have the plaintiff, you have the judge. And the judge is the one who decides which way the case is going to go. And gee, Nancy, bearing in mind that this is originally a Arabic art, um, everything's done from right to left. You know, the mothers are made from right to left, the daughters are made from right to left, the nieces are made from right to left. Everything's from right to left. Everything starts on the right. And where does the query start? With the querent, the client. So the right witness, being on the right, represents the querent, the client, the person asking the question, their situation, their side of things. The left witness is the opposing side, the other, the enemy. You know, what are they facing? And based on which way the judge decides, will decide whose side is being favored. Is it the person asking the question? Or is it the person they're asking about? And sometimes the judgment could be more neutral, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. There's a notion of a judge owning a chart where sometimes the judge will be very explicit. There's one figure called gain, acquisitio. It refers to getting stuff. So if you were to ask, will I get an extra hundred bucks this week? And you get acquisition as the judge, yes. It's saying you're going to get it, literally. In that case, the judge answers specifically to the type of the query you're asking. But if you were to get an answer like populace, the people, you know, there's no real connection between what populace is saying and what you're asking about. So you have to dig in a little bit deeper. Like, yes, it will still be the answer, but it's kind of talking around the situation as opposed to, to talking directly to the situation. You make the chart, but then there's another chart that you make. The house chart. The house chart. And that is where the astrology comes in. In GMC, we have these 15 or 16 positions. I'll leave the 16th one the mystery for now. 
But you have these 15 positions here. The four mothers, the four daughters, the four nieces, and the three court figures down here. Mm -hmm. And they can all be used as a whole chart to describe individual aspects of the situation. But even from a very early age, a very early period of geomancy, we were already using astrological connotation, astrological methods. And the, way, the main way you organize stuff in astrology is the horoscope, the 12 houses of heaven. And what we would do is we would take the first 12 figures, so the mothers, the daughters, and the nieces, and just drop them right into the 12 houses of the house chart. Now, in astrological communities, you won't often find this kind of house chart. This is a very old medieval way, the square chart. But you have all 12 houses. This is basically a giant empty area we don't care about. So here we have 12 figures. The four mothers, the four daughters, and the four nieces. And all we do is just one by one. We start with the first mother and just drop into the first house. We take the second mother, drop into the second house. Take the third mother, into the third house. Fourth mother, fourth house. First daughter, that's the fifth figure you make, into the fifth house. And so forth for all the rest of the figures. So the tricky part to remember about this is that you're starting from the right, doing it the opposite of how we would read a sentence in English. So, right, so. because again, this is fundamentally an Arabic art, so you do everything from right to left. The way that I do it, I don't know if I'm doing it correctly, but I use this chart, the house chart, to answer the yes or no. And then I use the shield chart to go more in detail about what that yes or no sounds like. There's one technique called perfection, and this was developed in the... I want to say about midway through Geomancy's history. It wasn't the beginning, but it was pulled in from horary astrology. The way to describe perfection is you have your current experienced reality, the life you're living in this moment now. And then you're asking about some hypothetical reality that you're wondering whether or not will happen. If perfection exists, then there'll be a bridge formed from the current reality to the hypothetical reality. In other words, you'll get from here to there. What you're asking about will happen. If there is no perfection, then there is no bridge made, which means the hypothetical will stay hypothetical, and it will not happen. So perfection answers yes or no to whatever the question is. It says nothing about whether it's good or bad. It says nothing about whether it's going to turn out how you want it to or not. We actually did a reading not that long ago... And guys, you can get a geomancy reading from Sam. You can go to his Etsy shop. Let's talk about this reading. The question was, will I be able to sell at least 10,000 copies of my ebooks this year? There was a time frame, there was an actual number, and an item. Ebooks, 10,000 copies this year. Will I be able to sell it? Mm -hmm. So, okay, so then you created the mothers, and what happened? So I made the mothers, I made the house chart, and you can see my terrible squiggles. Like, it's, <laughs> this is what a juicy reading looks like for me. In this case, we're asking about selling something you make. So the house of things you make is the fifth house in this case, just like it is in astrology. The houses in astrology are the same houses we use in geomancy. Okay, so the first house is the querent, you know, the life of the person asking the question. You know, it is you, 
It is the house of you. Um, it's your well-being, your characteristics, your manners, and so forth. The second house is the house of wealth. Things you own. Money, finances, resources, movable property. As opposed to immovable property, which is real estate. Laptops, cars, jewelry, you know, your bank accounts, anything you own. Anything that is yours to do as you will with. Okay. The third house is the house of things around you. So neighborhoods, cousins, neighbors, you know, local matters, local affairs, and so forth. Fourth house is house of the land and the home. So this is real estate. This is your house you live in. This is property. It's also the family. And it also presents the father of the person asking the question. The fifth house are the house of recreation, procreation, and creation. So it is children. It is sex. Not the eighth house. The eighth house is not sex. The fifth house is sex. It is children. It is, pro- is uh, crops, things you grow, art, gambling, gaming, racing, contests. All that's the fifth house. It's a very fun house. The sixth house is the house of health. So sickness, disease, injury, you know, things that work for the person's question, because also employees, servants, and pets, and domesticated animals. Seventh house, the house of relationships, the partner, the spouse, you know, anyone you're working with in a professional arrangement, open enemies and rivals, the other person in a court case, whether or not you're the defendant or plaintiff, they're the other person. So intimate relationships. Any relationships. Any relationships. Any relationships whatsoever. As long as it's a you versus them kind of thing. Okay, one other Me and my husband. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It's the house of the other. Mm -hmm. Eighth house, the house of death. The house of the dead. House of inheritances. House of contracts. It is the house of the stuff the other owns. So, my finances are house too. My husband's finances, I have no idea where he went. His finances are house eight. And because of that, it's also inheritances, things that aren't ours, but come to be ours eventually through death. Mm. The ninth house, the house of philosophy, divination, religion, all that high-minded, you know, fancy stuff that goes on above us. But it's also foreign lands, going abroad, anything far away, anything distant. The tenth house, the house of public affairs, government rulers, courts, judges, career, anytime you have to put on a public face, that's the 10th house. The 11th house is the house of friends, colleagues, social networks, you know, social media, Facebook, all that's the 11th house. And it's also the house of one's hopes and dreams. And the 12th house is the house of incarceration, the house of institutions, the house of secret enemies that you don't know about, the house of curses and witches and evil, near the house of self-undoing. So it's like not a friendly house. It's the, a terrible house. It's oh. a terrible place. Anytime that you're doing like a love question for geomancy, you would always like really focus on the first house, which is you, and then the seventh house, which is the other person, right? But sometimes you would also focus on the fifth house, which is, like, about sex, or... Alright, so I can see where you're going with this. Yeah. So, GMC was done... You know, GMC grew up with astrology. Mm-hmm. In this case, GMC took stuff right from astrology. And, functionally, 
the houses in Geomancy and Astrology are the same. The thing is that Geomancy was basically stopped being practiced around the 1700s. Astrology, however, kept being practiced, and so kept developing and kept being innovated upon. And over time, the meanings of some of the houses in astrology were understood to relate to different things than they did before. So, for instance, the eighth house traditionally was never about sex. It related to the genitals, we're talking about body parts, but also referred to, you know, the excretory systems, you know, pissing and shitting. And unless you're into that, it's probably not very sexy. So, the eighth house was never about sex. That was always, in traditional astrology, going back to the very beginnings of the art, the fifth house. Because the fifth house always had intimate connections with Venus, with growing things, with raising things. Because where do children come from? Children from sex. Mm -hmm. You can't have children without sex. And for a long time, sex was meant for making children. You didn't start that separation until much later. And typically, the older houses work better. Rather, the older house meanings typically work better. They have a more of a rigorous logic inherent in them that may not always be apparent to modern readers. Okay, so for my chart, you created the shield chart, you created the house chart, and did you first look at the house chart? As nope. soon as you. Okay. I always look at the shield chart first. Okay. Because the shield chart is, you know, the beginnings of Geomancy, and everything is going to be there. Everything is based off the shield chart. All the house chart is is just a reshuffling, a revisualization of the same figures that are present there. There's technically no new information in the house chart that isn't already present in the shield chart. How would Plus, you know if it was a yes or no, though? Like, what I would first look at is the court, the witnesses, and the judge. Mm -hmm. For me, that is the answer. No matter what kind of reading I'm doing, no matter whom I'm reading for, no matter what the query is, the court is always the answer. And so I'll look at the court first. In this case, the uh, judge is Carker, prison. This figure indicates being stuck. It indicates things not going anywhere. It indicates things being locked in or trapped or just not being able to have freedom of motion or decisions. In a case where you are looking for success for getting somewhere with your goals, Carter isn't usually a great figure. Mm. Going one level up to the witnesses, you know, the right witness in this case is Laetitia. So Laetitia is a figure that has one point in the fire line and two points in the other three lines. It is an arch, traditionally thought of as the wedding arch that one gets married under, or the ketuba for, you know, Jewish families. It is the tower, you know, things being uplifted, things being raised. It is upward motion, elevation, high hopes. You know, it's the thrill of being in a hot air balloon high above the world and seeing everything goes on down below. You know, it is pure fire. It is pure hope, pure just elation. That is Laetitia. It's good for, you know, good moods, good times, good, you know, fortune, but it's also pure fire. There's no fuel, there's no air, there's no hearth. It's pure fire, and it'll burn out like that, unless you have something else to ground it out with. Also, like the hot air balloon in the sky, everyone can see it. You can't hide it. So Letitia is a terrible figure for trying to keep things secret. Mm -hmm. 
Because you can't keep eating buried if you're up in the air. But when I think of Letitia, I think of, you know, a group of settlers, you know, who after, you know, so many hundreds of miles have finally found the perfect place of land to settle a new town. You know, they get out of their wagons, they bust up the wine bottles, they start partying, like, we're here, we arrived, you know, we've done it. But what have they actually done? They haven't done anything yet. They have the hope of everything before them. Once the party is over, once the celebrations are you know done for the night, then they actually have to start get building. And that is sort of my mood, right? Because I am the right witness. Mm-hmm. So Letitia is the way that I'm feeling. Can we think about the left witness as sort of our enemy? Or is it... You can. You absolutely can. You know, in a court case, it's you versus the other party. Like, it's very clearly an antagonistic relationship there. But it doesn't have to be an us versus them kind of thing. It is, if the right witness is what you bring to a situation, the left witness is whatever you're facing. It could be an enemy. It could be a rival. It could be a problem you're facing. It could just be the future. The things you don't know about yet, the things you don't have control over, the things you haven't yet experienced, or the places you haven't yet been. The left witness is all of that. It is the other side of the situation. You have your side. You have what you know. You have what you've done. You have what you bring. Now what about the rest? You know, the right witness in this case is Laetitia. Joy. That represents you. So it's a figure of optimism. It's a figure of hope. It's figure of, you know, oh, I'm so excited to do this new project. But being faced with the left witness of Tristitia, sorrow, which, yes, can refer to sorrow and grief and grieving and sadness, but also represents getting stuck in a rut. This is Tristitia, sorrow. It is the broken arch. It is the stake being driven into the ground. It is the wheel rut in the empty, desolate place between towns. It is just getting sunk deep into the earth. It is downward motion. It is depression. It is anything that sinks you down and brings you down and most of all drags you down. It isn't you getting locked up into something. It's just you getting dragged down, drugged down into the filth of the world. You know, it's awesome for keeping secrets. Because things we bury underground. It's awesome for working with the earth. It's awesome for uncovering hidden treasure or anything involving deep terrestrial subterranean elements. But for someone's mood, it's not so good. If Carker's being held back, Tristitia's just getting stuck in a rut. Between the addition of those two figures, Laetitia and Tristitia, we get Carker. You have all this optimism and all this hope. But once you face the real world reality of riding his ebooks and marketing them and trying to get somewhere selling 10,000 copies, you're just going to get held back and that things aren't going to go anywhere. The way I view it, the court sets up the context for every other rule and geomancy we have to be fit into. Everything has to fit and make sense in light of the court. So once I take a look at the court, then I'll look at the rest of the shield chart and the rest of the house chart. And then I'll look at perfection and see how that plays out and how that plays out in light of the judge and the court generally. 
Here, in this case, we're looking to house five, the house of things you make. So now we're looking at the house chart. So we look yes. at the shield chart, and let's say before you even look at the house chart, right? You look at the shield, and you're probably thinking, doesn't look good so far. Are you thinking it's probably going to be a no? Yeah. Okay. Um, it, it's not looking good. You know, I can see how this will go. It, it, that specific configuration at the court indicates failure. So it's not just that you're trying so hard. and you, you, Not that you could get somewhere if only people had the good sense to buy your ebooks. It, it just indicates failure because you have all this optimism without anything to, to sustain it. My figure, that first um, first mother was Carker, which represents me. I mean, yeah, in the, the court, I was represented by Letitia, but actually my figure is Carker. I remember yes. you just like, are you okay? Because that's your figure. You're the figure of imprisonment. There's a distinction between the first mother and the right witness. And they both refer to the person asking the question, absolutely. But the first mother, the figure in House 1, really is... You and just you, your perspective, your characteristics, your demeanor, your well-being, you. Versus the right witness, which is more you in general of the query, your whole side of the situation. So not only is it just you, it's your resources you're, you're pulling on. It is the experiences you've had in the past. It is your history. It is your hopes and your goals and your dreams. It is a much wider, broader version of you than what the first house indicates. So the Carker that represents me in this chart, it in a way is a little bit more temporary? Is I would say that the first mother, the figure in house one, is more limited in scope. Witness also includes your history and your past. It is everything leading up to this current situation. But like, and actually, it was totally right. I definitely feel imprisoned, um, limited. I've tried to create ebooks before; it didn't work. Um, and also, the left witness being Tristitia, that is definitely something that is also true. It manifests as procrastination. But it, it's definitely nothing is actually stopping me physically, and yet it is some sort of mood that I get into. Like, I just don't feel happy when I'm writing. And because I've tried to do it for so many years, and it still hasn't happened yet, uh, I definitely feel as though this is sort of a prison. This is sort of like this situation is something that I can't escape from. I want to do it, but I can't. It's like the chart picked it up. It instantly picked it up. And I was just like, yep. I, do, I always hate being the bearer of bad news, but like one of my policies that both in GMancy and other forms of nation I do, you know, my policy is I will try to read as much as I can and say as much as I can. Like I will not omit anything I read. Mm -hmm. Like if I have a hunch that something's about to go disastrously wrong, like I'll say so. Like if I feel the chart speaks very strongly about someone dying in your family, I have an obligation to tell you. I mean. It's risky for a lot of modern diviners to talk about death or about certain things like that, certain topics that are very much taboo. Mm. But going on for like thousands of years, that was our job as diviners. It was to tell people about the lights and happenings of what goes on in life. And if there's danger involved, it's better you know and me be wrong than for you to not know 
and get smashed by it. I mean, that's what I also love about the 16 figures in Geomancy. I mean, there's only 16, but it's almost like distilling to the essential elements of like the human experience. You don't need like 50 or 100. There's like 16 major sort of ideas. Well, there are some little distinctions like Carker and Tristitia, they're kind of similar in a way, but they're distinct. Yes. And the left witness doesn't always have to be um, an antagonistic force. Sometimes the left witness could be a really happy force, right? So then the judge will reflect that. It'll be like, well, you guys seem to be getting along really well, so yay, party. But, exactly. Yeah. For instance, if I were asked, you know, will Jane Doe marry John Smith? You know, if I'm taking the point of Jane Doe, well, the right, right witness works in Jane Doe, and the left witness works in John Smith. So it's not to say antagonistic, it's just the other side. Mm -hmm. And if they both get along well, the judge will reflect that. And the judge will say, yes, you two will get married. Or, it won't turn out so well, maybe you should reconsider the situation. So it depends. Because the two figures could be good, mm -hmm. but the figure that results from adding them is not good. So the that judge is almost like an omniscient narrator, right? It kind of knows things. Just because yes. the two characters are lovey-dovey or they get along well. The omniscient narrator is like, I know things that maybe you don't know. So let me give you like some For advice. instance, you would never guess that from a truly toxic gas that'll corrode your lungs, plus a metal that bursts into fire when you drop into water. You have two truly odious substances here, but when you add them together, you get table salt. Sodium and chlorine together form sodium chloride. Individually, they are noxious, toxic, deadly, dangerous substances. Together, they're delicious. So sometimes you wouldn't always know from the get-go of two individual people, forces, situations. You don't always know the interaction will be between them until you actually have them interact. And the judge shows that interaction. The judge, it tells you how the situation is going to turn out. It also gives you advice, right? It, it's like everything. It's like Big Daddy. It's like saying, <laughs> yeah, I know best. And so in my chart, the court, it basically was just like, maybe not the best idea. Yeah. When, and so then you looked at the house chart. Yes. And, and I started looking at the patterns in there. And something that's neat about Geomancy is that Unlike in other forms of divination, like tarot or runes, in those forms of divination systems, you have only one place for one figure at any given point in time. The Ten of Cups can only appear a total of one time in any given reading. You can't have more than you know one of them, because always your tarot deck is all kind of jacked up. But in Geomancy, because of how the figures are formed, you can have the same figure popping up all over the place in Geomancy. And we use that to our benefit, because sometimes there's only one person who's affecting ten different parts of your life. Or sometimes there's a motion of one person from one place to another place. And we can use those motions, those connections, to describe certain actions in a chart. And that's actually the fundamental reasoning of how perfection works. Again, I was talking about how those bridges are formed between experienced reality and hypothetical reality. If perfection exists, then a figure will be repeated in a certain way as to connect the houses we care about. If there is no perfection, then those figures don't connect, which means those realities don't connect, which means the answer is no. In this specific chart, 
we're looking at House 5. You know, House 5 is the house of things you make, in this case, ebooks. Mm-hmm. And House 1 represents you. So in House 1, we have Carper. In House 5, we have Letitia. And there's no connection. You know, they don't have the same figure in both houses. The figure of one doesn't move next to one of the others, or from one to the other side. They don't appear neighboring to other elsewhere in the chart. There's no link between these figures. So the chart doesn't perfect, which means the answer is no. So in this case, will X happen? No, X will not happen. How did you decide that it was going to be House 5 versus, let's say, House 2? Which is, am I going to make money? Because you didn't ask about that. Oh. You asked, will I sell? Uh-huh. Yes, will I sell? But will I sell 10,000 ebooks? Uh-huh. You could sell products, sure. But if you were to ask, will I get such and such income from doing this? That would be House 2 matter. Uh-huh. You could look at House 2 for that same reason, but I felt more comfortable looking at House 5. That's how my kind of judgment went. But also, even if you were to look at House 2 and House 5, or House 2 and House 1, again, there's no perfection there. So no matter how we try to phrase the question in terms of houses, there's still no perfection. So no matter how we try to juggle things around, the answer's still going to be no. I mean, that's why it's so important that the question is super clear. Because maybe what I, let's say that what I really wanted to know is, will I make money? But if I ask, like, am I going to sell 10,000? Well, that's not actually asking the question, like, will I make money? My sister, you know, she's also a professional divider, like I mentioned earlier, she's giving me all these little tips and tricks of how to understand people, because a lot of times, people don't want to give the actual question they want to ask. You know, the best example I can think of is, if a woman asks, will I ever be pregnant? More often than not, they're asking, am I pregnant now? Hmm. Like, that's a huge different thing. Let's say that I was really set on selling those ebooks. What are the possibilities, the chances of overcoming a chart? Sometimes the chart will speak to that very thing. Like, sometimes the chart will say, this person's going to try using magic, or this person's going to try really damn hard to do something, as opposed to just accepting things. The chart will often speak to that as well. Sometimes that'll play into the situation. Sometimes it won't. It depends. You know, looking at the chart, uh, I could suggest a magical you know, operation you could try. I could suggest a certain approach you take to change your situation. Mm-hmm. You know, playing off the whole, this isn't set in stone, let's see how far we can push it. You kind of tweak the elements of the figures in real life. Not so much like on paper in the reading, but for instance, if your figure is Carker, prison. Well, we know there's fire and there's earth, and there's no water or air. What would happen if you added in water to your life? What would happen if you were a little more emotional? What would happen if you cried a little more? If we were to drop in that little element to that reading, how would that change the rest of the reading? What would that change the rest of the figures? Could perfection be obtained from that? So I've been playing with that kind of notion for consulting, and I've seen some good preliminary results. And that is one of the main reasons why I got into magic, because I was like, what's the point of doing divination if you're just going to be like, well, it's going to suck, and that's just the way it is. It's so fatalistic, there's no sense of control, and then you're no longer sort of a divine being. 
you are just an ant in some mm -hmm. sort of anthill and some divine force is going to step on your anthill and that's just the way it is. And that's no fun. That's no fun whatsoever. No. And even if it doesn't change, just the striving for change in itself is a lot more interesting than just accepting things the way that they are. If the chart was to be um, perfected and the court and the judge were awesome, could Ooh. I fuck it up? I mean, I technically, I guess I could. I could, like, commit a crime and go to jail. <laughs> it wouldn't work out. I, you can say about anything, though. Like, you can yeah. say about any reading whatsoever. Like, mm -hmm. it's like the whole, you know, in Pokemon, Ash was just in a coma and he dreamt the whole thing up. Like, you could use that excuse for everything. Like, you could technically, please don't, kill yourself. And then the chart obviously would be wrong because none of this would happen because you'd be dead. I mean, you talk about stable figures and unstable figures. Like, some judges are kind of set or stronger in being said, and some are a little bit more. Like, okay, let's compare, let's say, um, Carker and you mentioned Populous, the people. Yes. Populous is different from Carker in a lot of ways, but one of the big ways it's different is that Carker, it's prison, it's like grounded, it's like a structure, it's hard to tear down, it's hard to change. Populous, everything is passive. Everything is even. There's nothing there. There's no fire, no water, no air, no earth. There's nothing there. So it's just passivity. It's inertia. It's the ball rolling down the hill, and it'll stop when it stops. You know, it's not that it's being pushed along the way. It's just doing its thing. And that's just inertia going on. There's nothing going on with populace. It is the lake you find in the middle of the forest. There's no river going in, there's no river going out, it's just a pond that's perfectly still. You know, there's nothing going in, nothing coming out. There's a whole bunch of life going inside, absolutely. But there's nothing changing inside of it. There's nothing happening. It is a static blob. Imagine a small town. You know, everyone knows each other's names, Everyone knows the business of everyone else. There's nothing happening in that small town. You know, everyone knows the gossip. Everyone knows what's going on. No one really leaves town. No one really comes to town. Nothing happens. But everyone there knows each other. They're all going about their own lives. They're all maintaining their farms and their gardens and the local convenience store and local bodega. Absolutely. But nothing happens without anyone else knowing. They all have this kind of folk wisdom, sure, but also mob mentality by the very same token. If anything were to come into that town and take control of it, that entire town would be pulled in that direction. It can adapt to anything you know, taking charge of it. So it's inertia because a thing at rest will stay at rest until moved. So let's say that in my chart for the ebooks question, mm -hmm. that that was the judge, populous. Populous. Mm -hmm. What would you do for? Because I mean, as far as I'm concerned, what I hear is that populous is like nothing. So I mean, what would you tell me if that was the judge? In a reading, populous as judge indicates that nothing's going to change. You know, what has been is what will be. Things will continue as they have into the future. That's what Populous says in a reading as judge. So if you've been working on your ebooks, 
you're going to keep working your ebooks. If you've already been selling your ebooks, you will continue selling your ebooks. If you haven't got to that point yet, you won't be getting to that point. Hmm. It's a very straightforward what has been is what will be. I will say, however, that in Arabic geomancy, geomancy as practiced in the Middle East, you know, anywhere from Mar- you know, and North Africa, anywhere from as far west as Morocco to as far east as India, where geomancy has been continuously practiced, it's a common rule where they won't look at a chart. They won't even bother answering it if the judge is populous. Because for them, populace cannot speak. There's nothing for populace to say. So for them, if populace is judge, they'll say, ask again later. The other day, I actually created a chart, and populace was a judge, and then I looked at the house chart, and the house chart, it perfected. I was like, mm-hmm. but for it to perfect, the situation would change. Would that mean that the question was unclear? Like, when the house and the shield, they don't either seem to match, or they seem a little bit off. Like, how would you interpret that? For me, the house chart will always match the shield chart. Uh-huh. Always. Because the house chart is just the shield chart looked at in a different way. The same information is going to be in both. And like I said before, the reason why I look at the shield chart first is because the court of the shield chart sets up the context for everything else to be understood in. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking at the house chart and you see something that doesn't seem to match up with the shield chart, take a look in the shield chart and reevaluate what it's saying. Because chances are you didn't expand that scope wide enough or you didn't have the right interpretation for the house chart to really make sense. Because I have had times where I would look at the house chart first, and I'd see perfection. And then, in reality, nothing happened. The thing I asked about wasn't happening. I went back and looked at the shield chart because the court didn't say it was going to happen in that way. And then I'd look at the situation again, and I'd see how things were matching, matching up. For me, the court is the most important primary thing to look at, and everything else has to be interested in light of the court. So in this case, if you had perfection and the thing happened and you saw populace as judge, it's not that nothing was happening. It's that things were already happening and they were continuing to happen. I That's see. how I would be used at that. I see, I see. See, and this is the part where it's not that geomancy is about a bunch of rules and stuff. This is where a lot of analysis and intuition comes in. And mm-hmm. also, maybe in the past, because people were just looking at rules, it didn't seem very accurate. So I think it's important for a diviner to be able to do is all diviners need to be able to tell a story. That's all divination is. We're telling a story. We have the characters. We have the situations. We have the climax and the month. We have the initiating problem. But we need to be able to plug all that in together into a coherent story we can tell about life. Because if you don't know how to tell a story, you might have all the techniques at your disposal. You might be able to have perfect intuition and clairvoyance situation. And you might have all the symbols before you. But if you don't know how to see the symbols play with this rule, and I get this hunch that means this rule needs to be tweaked in this one way, and I know how to tell that story now. If I didn't know how to plug those things together into a cohesive whole... There's nothing really to tell at that point. I know we've only touched the surface of what geomancy is and what 
the real power of geomancy is. It's not just about divination. You can definitely, like you mentioned, do magic with it too to sort of affect the chart. This isn't just set in stone. But I feel like this mm -hmm. would be like a 28,000-hour conversation. This could go on for a little week, absolutely. Yeah. But guys, try geomancy, right? Try it. Make your first chart. Put in the comments below what the judge was, what the court was. Let's talk about it. Let's see what happens. And Sam, thank you so, so much for talking to me about Geomancy. This was such an inch. I learned a lot. I super learned a lot from this conversation. What? Thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure and a wonderful time speaking with you about this. Thank you so much. Yeah. Bye, guys. everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Witches and Wine audio experience. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting me on Patreon. You can choose between a few membership tiers. They're super affordable and flexible. Your membership helps me continue making videos, podcasts, articles, lots of different things about all the sweet witchy stuff. Links are in the show notes. Also, don't forget to go on iTunes and give this a five-star rating. Each five-star rating helps rank this podcast higher in searches so that as many witches can find and enjoy these episodes as well. Until next time, this is Chawan, signing off. <laughs>